Welcome to the Mar Experience. My name is Matt Shedd. In this episode, I talk with Stacy and Terry, a couple who lived through every parent's worst nightmare, losing a child. After seeking treatment and getting clean and sober, Skyler, Stacy's son and Terry's stepson, relapsed and died of a heroin overdose. He was only 20 years old. As part of their grieving, Stacy and Terry picked up the tools they were introduced to through Mars Family Program and their own recovery from codependency. They witnessed a complete transformation in their own family dynamic from one involving playing the victim, plans of suicide, loaded guns, and death threats, to a trusting marriage built on peace, community, and gratitude. Today, Stacy and Terry say that Skyler, through his death, was able to give them the gift of recovery. My name is Stacy. So I have been associated with Mar for um, a little over ten years now. Mm-hmm. Um, my 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 son came through Mar. He started here in October of two thousand seven. Um, he was nineteen. Um, we admitted him for heroin addiction, and um, I was so broken at that point. It was just you know. Mar, just tell me what to do. And so I did whatever Mar recommended. Um, and at that time was really participating in Al-Anon type meetings and their family group. And it just kind of went from there. And that was, you said 2007? Seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so you originally as a, uh, as a parent, and then mm-hmm. you got involved in the family group right around the same time? So um, Mar, one of the recommendations Mar made to us was to join one of their family groups that they had at the time. And um, the group that we chose is the Tuesday night group that continues. It's still, it's still ongoing today. And so Terry and I started going there shortly after Skylar was admitted. Um, So it had been around the end of October of 2007. And, um, that group really became a rock for us um, and a, a place for us to be centered and, and to get it, advice and help on how to navigate the addiction waters as Skylar was going through his recovery program at Mar. So that's where we started. Um, and then um, in 2008, I joined the volunteer program. Okay, gotcha. And when did you come on as a board member? I came on as a board member in January of 2017. Okay, perfect. All right. And you want to go ahead? Sure. Uh, my name's Terry. And my stepson, Skyler, came through here from October of 2007 through May or uh, April of 2008. And that particular period after he passed away was sort of a, a very foggy experience. Uh, we were sort of operating in, uh, uh, I don't know what, uh, in a mode that we were just going through the motions. And um, I was still, uh, well, the whole experience was, I, I, my role in this, in this, in the you know, the family was I was trying to be the disciplinarian, and it never worked out um, for a, a number of reasons. Codependency on both and all three of our parts, mm-hmm. and uh, 
so I was angry. I was a little bit angry at Mar. Um, and my stepson died, and you know, I didn't have answers for why. And um, I guess Stacy started volunteering in April, or she went through the training in April. And then over the years, she made subtle suggestions to me that volunteering might be something that would be beneficial to me as well. And so the following April, I went through the volunteer training, and my assignment was to uh, participate as a volunteer at with the, the men in the halfway program up at uh, Camp Donnie Brown on Lake Altoona. And the caretaker there, Steve Smigelski, he he was a great influence on me, among other people. And I, over, I don't know, six months or so, I figured, I, I saw that they had something that I wanted. And so I asked Steve to take me through the steps, and he became my sponsor. He still is my sponsor today. And uh, as a result of that, you know, and going through the, you know, practicing the steps every day and trying to do the next right thing as opposed to the way I was doing it before, which wasn't uh, always trying to do the next right thing, um, trying to get away with the, whatever I could get away with. Um, my whole life's changed and mm -hmm. my perspective on things and the way I feel about myself and uh, how I see the world has changed dramatically uh, since then. I was a sneaky guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that wasn't a, a, a good place. I mean, and I've been sneaky my entire life and uh, getting away with stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, that wasn't a good thing for me. Wow. I, I mean, I just love hearing that, that the, the 12 steps are so powerful that mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't. what your history is. You right. Can, yeah. Wow. Yeah, anybody would benefit, or if if they had a desire to um, you know, change the way they're living. And yeah. Okay, so that's great. That's helpful for context. So let's kind of go back to what was kind of going on with you all and Skylar before you headed into Mar. What did what did that look like? That dynamic. It it, uh, it was very chaotic. Um, it's probably very similar to most everybody else's story. Um, I was Skylar was my only child, um, and he had been doing drugs. Um, Probably from the age of 13 is probably when he started smoking marijuana and drinking. And I knew he was doing those types of things. But at the time, you know, it was all part of growing up, right? Um, and um, so Skylar was born in 1987. So, you know, we're in, in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s at this point. So um, I just knew that he was struggling. Um and it kept getting worse and worse. And um, he did reach out and say that he needed help. He was probably 16 maybe at the time. And so I took him to Peachford. Um, they did an evaluation. He spent a week here. I didn't really get very many answers there. Um, meanwhile, he was continuing, you know, to do drugs of some sort. Um, he had dropped out of school. He couldn't hold a job. Um, I was constantly setting boundaries that, you know, no drugs were allowed in my house. And he kept breaking those boundaries. Terry, as he said, tried to be the disciplinarian that I wasn't. So, um, you know, all of Skylar's anger was directed at Terry. So he was very threatening to Terry. So we had this, we had this lovely triangle going where I played the victim beautifully. 
um, you know, I was mad at both of them for, you know, how could you, how, for all I do for you guys, how can you treat me this way, right? So I, I held that role, uh, could have gotten an Oscar for that one. And um, it just, he he was going through what I know now as withdrawals, where he would just go through these periods where he was constant vomiting and cramping and didn't know what it was. He'd spend two or three days in the hospital to recover from it. I had all kinds of scopes going on, thinking he had some mysterious ailment, couldn't figure that out. And then um, he was probably um, right around 18 when I found out he was doing heroin. And I couldn't, I don't remember how I found it out. Um, And um, so the boundaries got even I tried to make them even stiffer, you know, can't have anybody in here. Nobody can do drugs, all this stuff. And, um, of course, he knew I wouldn't make him leave. So he continued to cross those boundaries over and over again, continued to threaten Terry. I think Terry lived in fear for his life. Um, and then um, finally, I think um, I just, I, I, well, what happened was um, I caught him using heroin in my home. And, um, I don't think Terry was home then. And, um, Skylar and I were up that whole night, just both of us crying him in so much pain and despair, me in so much pain and despair, not knowing what to do, um, where to turn all this time. I'm thinking addiction is a behavioral issue and that if he wanted to quit, he just, he could, he just decided he didn't want to. So there was that anger going on. I couldn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. He kept telling me, you don't understand. There's voices in my head that won't let me quit. And so in the it was probably about 4 o'clock that morning, he asked me to give him the title to his car so that he could go buy enough heroin so that he could end his life. That's what he wanted to do. He was just tired. He was done. Um, I was... I was broken. I was tired. I didn't know what else to do. And um, at a weak moment, I told him I would give him, if that's what he wanted to do, I'd give him the title to his car. And we cried for a little while longer. And, of course, I'm just going, oh, my God, how did we get here? I mean, if I did that, that's going to cause the thing that has kept me from setting boundaries and kicking you out and doing all the things I need to do to get you on the right path. Um and that was my fear of, of him dying. Um, and so I, I, I changed my tact and, and gathered some strength again. And I, I just begged him, can we go for help one more time? Just one more time. Let's go to Peachford and see what, what can happen there. And um, while he was there, uh, a psychiatrist this time, I had spoken to a psychiatrist previously, but the one, and I don't remember his name, But the one I spoke to this time really talked with me in depth about opiate addiction, changes in the brain chemistry. He talked about medications that might help Skylar. So I went to some websites, and that's where I really started to understand the disease of addiction. And that was very helpful to me. Um, And so that kind of started us on our path towards Mar. He recommended Mar as well. So had you had had he done any treatment at that point other than going to Peachford? No, he'd done Peachford um, a couple of times, and he had done um, a, an outpatient treatment program with Kaiser. Um, but he wasn't he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He was going through the motions, and he mm-hmm. was probably using while he was doing that. Right. 
Um, and those were before I knew it was heroin too. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, so Terry, what, can you kind of tell us what was going on for you at during this this process? How, how long had you all been married? And and we were married seven years by that time. Okay. And I was kept in the dark as much as possible. Although uh, the uh, there were a number of confrontations at home where. We had we had actually on two separate occasions made lists of things that we needed him to agree to and follow these certain rules and, and that we had laid out, and it was within a matter of minutes and or hours that uh, he had already you know he he got with with Stacy and the the, uh, the rules were no longer in place, uh, and so I was marginalized in that way. And I, it made me angry. And then I, I discovered a, I guess it was a text on Stacy's phone. And he said he wanted me dead. And there were, and then I found out that there, that wasn't the first of them. There were a number that preceded that and some that uh, came after that. Um, and so I, I, uh, I started sleeping with a loaded pistol next to my bed. Um, and so when, well, I mean, the, the behaviors were just, uh, he was defiant and he would kind of, he would, uh, it was like almost laughing up a sleeve because I'd try to put some, you know, disciplinary measures in place and he'd have, he'd have them, you'd know, skirt around them in, in a matter of minutes and laugh up his sleeve. And so that was, uh, that was sort of the relationship. I mean, that was codependency on my part in a huge way that, you know, my husband's being threatened and I still don't do anything to make Skylar leave or, I mean, it was just, it was really um, insane. And then for my part, I mean, living in a house with somebody that wants me dead, I mean, how insane is that? Uh, And I wasn't willing to to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, Codependency between (laughs) the two of us. Wow. So were you all familiar with those terms at that point, codependency, or were you kind of aware that that was going on on some level? Or I, I was aware of the word codependency. My former husband, Skylar's dad, was um, addicted to marijuana, and I had read years and years before that, uh, many years before that, the book Codependent No More. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really think about it in relationship to my son, nor in relationship with Terry, that, that wasn't, that wasn't something that I was realizing we were living in that situation from a codependent situation. And actually it took quite a while for me to even understand what codependency meant. And, you know, now I see that there's so much codependency in my life that's gone back to the times when I was a child and it still exists. I mean, mm-hmm. there, uh, certain things are, uh, you know, we're, we're codependent by nature and some of those things are good and other things when you, you know, they're not so good when you know, you're, you're stepping in and, you know, taking the consequences away from someone who should feel those things themselves and um, trying to control stuff. And um, I mean, that's what, kind of what parents do. And, mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular case, it was working to all of our detriment. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, I think that might be kind of helpful. You said it took you a while to kind of understand what that that meant, at least in the unhealthy sense of the word, codependent. Mm -hmm. Could you, how would you, both of you, how would you kind of summarize that for people that may be new to that concept that are listening? Well, for me, I, I don't know that I can define this for anyone but myself. And the, I guess the, the bulk of codependency for me is or was that I did things to make myself presentable or viewed in the eyes of others as someone who was acceptable, great, you know, wonderful guy. Uh, but all the time I was being sneaky and, uh, and and so I knew that I wasn't a wonderful guy. Um, and so the codependency is I was looking to others to, you know, how they saw me as how I felt about myself and the the two didn't match. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's probably different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there was some of that for me in terms of, you know, wanting to appear a certain way to the outside world. Um, but really I think for me, it plays out in trying to control other people, um, other people's actions and doing that in ways that are unhealthy for me as well as for that other person. So um, what I've had to do through, you know, learning how to be codependent in a healthier way, if that's possible, um, is really checking my motivations as to why, you know, if I'm going to say yes or do something, what is my motivation? Is it truly um, to help? Um, And it's something that's not going to be detrimental to the other person or to myself. Um, or am I trying to control an outcome? Mm. And that's how it tends to manifest itself with me. Mm. So you come, you're you're coming into Mar or Skylar is, mm-hmm. and and you're coming into the family program, <clears throat> suffering from this, but you don't really have any sense of how to what extent and and what what you're really up against it sounds right. like so kind of if you could kind of walk me through that process what was that like learning about that was there pushback because i could imagine if my loved one was in treatment and like, wait wait I, they're the one that's <laughs> using heroin <laughs> i'm not i'm not the problem right. you know so like hearing that this codependency is a family disease or, or alcoholism or addiction is a family disease it's like i think that can be kind of hard for people to understand i would agree um, for me, what I was so broken at the time and, um, I had actually, while Skylar was still at Peachford before we got him to Mar, um, I had finally gotten up the courage to tell him he couldn't, he couldn't live with us anymore. He had to find a treatment program somewhere where he could learn how to live his life without drugs or alcohol, um, that I was finally, you know, going to set my, my house in order. Um, and I knew I had to be the one to make that change in order for it to happen. Um, and so before we, we got him to Mar, um, but while he was still out of the house, I joined Naranon. Um, and I joined a women's meeting in Sandy Springs. Um, it was close to work. I just needed to know what else I needed to do to help myself and, and Skylar and, and even Terry through this, but I knew I was the one that had to really start to change. Um, 
And so, I mean, we have a funny story about that. It was a women's only meeting, and I was afraid to go to that first meeting by myself. And so I asked Terry if he would go with me, and being the codependent, loving husband that he is, <laughs> he said yes. And we're standing in the hallway waiting for the meeting to start, and I see all these women walking by, and it, you know, what women women's only meant kind of <laughs> struck me at that moment. Right. I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? Um, so I asked if, um, I asked if Terry could stay during that meeting with me and I explained what had happened. And, um, they said, of course. And Terry said, absolutely, he would stay with me. So we went through that first meeting together. And, um, what that meeting did for me was really help me start to understand what I was doing was not helping Skylar. It was actually hurting him. And keeping both of us sick. And I think the biggest visual that a woman put in my head, and I'm a very visual person, was she said, Stacy, God is trying to shine his light on Skylar. And it's hitting your back. You just need to step out of the way. And that that's kind of been my mantra since then. What I've tried to focus on as I as I work on my codependent behaviors and trying to improve on those. Um and so that was really where I first started to get help. And then when we put Skylar in Mar and they asked us to join them, one of their uh, family meetings, Terry and I agreed, I think without hesitation. I just know I was so broken at that point that I was willing to do whatever anybody who I felt knew more about this than I did was, was willing to, to tell me. And so that's what I did. And um, I came to understand it was a family disease. I I came to understand that if if I if I'm expecting Skylar to change, I can't expect him to come back into the same environment and be okay if our environment wasn't healthy and it wasn't. So I did not have any issue with it being his problem and not mine. And I think even Skylar was was really appreciative. Uh, changed our dynamic in him seeing that we were working our program and it wasn't just his problem. His dad and his stepmom weren't willing to do anything, you know, in that. But here he's seeing his stepdad, which I'm sure Terry will fill you in on his part, but he was seeing his stepdad going to meetings, reading the big book, you know, getting an understanding of this program too. And it was like, and he was learning where to direct his anger. So it was all funneled at Terry because he was, you know, wasn't his mom and dad, but most of the anger was really with me and with his dad. And so I think as Skylar started to understand where to direct that, that also helped their relationship. And the fact that Terry and I were working our program together along with Skylar, I think made a huge difference in him. Mm. And the, the family group here at Mar was an eye-opening experience for me. As we opened up and told what was going on in our house and our relationship with Skylar and the things that had transpired, the people in the group, they opened up to give us advice on, you know, kind of shine a light on the things that we were not doing right and things that we could change to affect a positive change in Skylar. And it was... uh, like I said, it was it was an eye opening experience to to see you know, all the things that uh, 
well, we we were talking about things that had had happened and how what what our responsibility, our role was in creating that you know those situations, and then to see someone talk about you know how you could change that by you know, changing your behaviors, um, setting boundaries. I mean, we didn't know anything about setting boundaries, or mm-hmm. you know, had no idea what that stuff was like, or or how to enforce them, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hold hold people accountable to the boundaries we've set, or hold ourselves to it, and uh, and that's taken you know years and and you know months and years to uh, discipline ourselves, and you know when we see something that's not looking right to stand up and say, Hey, that's not looking right. And I I would like for you to do it another way. Uh, otherwise I'm, I'm out. I'm not participating. And, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, the, the things that she talks about when she tells her story is that we, you know, we learned how we learned how to say no, uh, or we learned how to say, if you need an answer now, um, the answer is no. If you let me think about it, you know, might, might be something different, but if you need an answer right now, it's the answer is no. Um, and so we got, we had a, we sort of learned how to pause and, and, uh, you know, and then go back to our group and talk about what's happening and get feedback from them and then, you know, make a decision on what to, what to do. And it's been a, you know, a very therapeutic process for us. Mm-hmm. I felt safe. I think that was the big thing is mm-hmm. I felt safe here Felt safe with my Naranon group. I felt safe with the family group here. I was among people who shared the same stories. I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't telling them anything they either hadn't experienced for themselves or hadn't heard somebody else experience. Nothing I said was new and shocking. Mm-hmm. And I think, right or wrong, I'm type of the type of person that I'm probably more open than I should be. So it was easy for me to just put it out on the table. They allowed me to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, they shared their experience, strength, and hope. Um, they gave us good things to think about and things that worked for them and how they would set boundaries and, and hold to those boundaries. Cause I mean, we were good at setting boundaries. I think it was the holding fast to the boundaries that we were not good at. And, um, they helped us to baby steps. And I think Terry said it too. I think the biggest thing was it was okay for me to say no and that that could be a complete sentence and that I didn't have to answer anything right then and there. I had support group to go to for help. They would help both me and Terry and then we could talk about it and decide what we felt the right answer should be for us before we answered, you know, anything that Skylar was was asking of us. Um, Which Actually, while he was working his program, that became really less and less too. And for me, it was a it was a relief just to be able to you know, get some of this off my chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much went on, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was it was sort of a you know it was a, a pressure release to be able to talk about it and have someone you know not judge me, but actually sort of you know sympathize with what was going on and, you know, kind of commiserate and, and then give you some uh, positive feedback on how, how, uh, you know, it wasn't my fault. It was, you know, I didn't know any better now, but now, you know, better, you need to mm-hmm. change yeah, your ways. Right. Right. Probably some of, uh, Oh, you think that's bad. Listen to what <laughs> I did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, so then Skylar's here at Mar. Um, for over a year no, or no, no, he was here for, um, 
right at about five and a half months. Okay. Um, he he was asked to leave on March 31st for not following rules okay. of 2008. So he completed the 90-day program, yes. went to extended care. Yes. And what's that like for you all seeing him be in early recovery and start like some things must have been working for him to not use for, for that long. I mean, what, what's, what's going on for, for you all as you're watching that? I was, uh, you know, what I learned through, through my meetings was that, um, I needed to be careful with hope. Um, for us family members, it's a four letter word. Um, it denotes an expectation, um, that things, you know, he's going to recover. He's going to be cured. Um, but I, I was, um, I was feeling more hopeful, um, in our relationship. Um, we got closer than we had been in a long time. Like I said, he was my only child. So it was really just me and Skylar for seven years prior to Terry and I got getting married and, and at the end of 2000. And, um, and watching Skylar and Terry's relationship start to, to mend and for them to have conversations, um, that was just huge for me. And, you know, we have the dialogue of recovery. Um, Skylar would call me and, you know, one of the things I miss the most is when I would answer the phone and go, Hey mama, what's up? And I'm like, oh, I'm heading to my meeting. Ah, oh, what step are you on? I'm like, now Skylar, I'm not supposed to ask you about your recovery. You, you shouldn't ask me about mine. He's, oh, come on. What step are you on? So we had, we had that banter. We had that common language. And um, I think it made him feel much better that he wasn't in it by himself. And it made me feel better that we were all, we were all working this together and learning about this together. I didn't have addiction attached to it to a powerful drug like heroin, like Skylar did. And he was only 19 when he came into Mar. He turned 20 in, in December of 2007. So he was still really young and had all those years of probably about five years of active heroin addiction. But it was still just, I don't know, I felt like I was seeing the Skylar that I, you know, that I knew before. And that was just, that was wonderful to, to feel and to see. And probably a Skylar that you might not have seen very much of before. No, and and I actually, you know, after he died, I got to know people that he knew while he was here, and my sponsor got fairly close to to Skyler while he was here, and um, I don't think I ever really knew the real Skyler, and so I would say that it was uh, through the five and a half months that he was here. Although I could see changes in him, it was difficult for me to trust that they were actually valid changes or there wasn't just him trying to present himself in a different way, but hadn't really changed inside. Um, but they were nevertheless, they were positive changes and we did have, you know, some limited dialogue. Um, you know, we talked about stuff, but uh, on a very limited basis, he was much closer to, you know, to Stacy than he was to me. Uh, and, and I think that there was, he, I don't think he knew exactly how to uh, to communicate with me. I mean, we didn't really have a, a foundation that uh, you know it was sort of a, um, a shallow foundation, if if that's you know a, a way to describe it. I mean, we we knew who each other were, but we didn't know each other deep down. 
Um, but since since then, and all the volunteering and all of the, the the clients that have come through Mar, I've I've gotten a better understanding of what he was going through by seeing what others have, you know, seeing them come in and then seeing them, some of them fail and, you know, go out and others who, you know, they, they take the, they, they, they take the the message and they run with it. And you can, and it's amazing to see, uh, you know, when someone gets it or wants to get it, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, it gives me chills just to think, uh, you know, and then I, I, I look at, you know, I look at the, some of these guys today and it's amazing that the way they looked, Physically, the way they looked when they came in compared to the, it's you wouldn't know that they were the same person. I mean, they, they look entirely different. Mm-hmm. Their whole demeanor, their you know, uh, younger, huh? Yes, <laughs> alive. Healthier. Yeah, alive. right. Yeah, yeah, eyes that are alive. Yeah. And yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah, that's great. It's a powerful thing to be around. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's um, so he and and when did he get asked to leave the program? So, um, they called me on, it was, it was Monday, March 31st. Um, and, um, he had, um, he hadn't been following the rules. They'd been trying. He had missed several drug tests and, um, he was coming late to meetings. Um, he had started working uh, pretty much full time at my company. Um, and so he, he was afraid to let, his supervisor know when he had to leave to get to meetings on time. So he was putting his job before his recovery. Um, and so through all that, stopped calling a sponsor, um, stopped. Um, he wasn't showing up for drug tests as he was supposed to. Um, and so they finally, you know, he, he wasn't a healthy member of the community anymore. And so they needed to, to ask him to leave. Um, so I got the call on that Monday and, um, Mar, as as they do, gave him some other things, other places to think about. Um, I had a couple of suggestions for him, too. Um, he was supposed to leave on, um, he had until Wednesday, April 2nd, to leave. Um, so he was supposed to come over that Tuesday night, which was um, April 1st. And um, we were going to talk, we had been to our spiritual meeting, I mean, our um, family meeting. And... Um, even Terry at that meeting was wavering a little bit about allowing Skylar back into the home. I was the strong one at that point, and he was the one that was kind of wavering. And, of course, the group said, no, that's not good for Skylar. It's not good for you. And so we we had kind of gotten our strength, you know, to face this from our group. And Skylar was supposed to come over that night to talk about some other options. And I had gotten another option from someone in, in the group. And um, he didn't call. He didn't show up. And I got that dreaded phone call about 4.30 the following morning. Um, Terry had left about 2 o'clock in the morning to head down to Florida. He has four children, um, and they were um, on spring break, and so he was going to bring them to Atlanta uh, for spring break. And so he was halfway to Florida um, when I called him. And um, he turned around to come back Um and um, it, it was interesting. Um, the phone call pretty much went exactly as I had envisioned it. The one thing I didn't get past was thinking about what do you do after that phone call. Um, so that was um, that was kind of the beginning. I mean, that was fog for me for sure. Um, 
But I do want to say that um, I had already signed up to participate in the volunteer program at MAR. And um, they do the training in April and September. So this was April 2nd when he when he passed away. And um, the training was two weeks later. And we'd gone through the funeral and everything. And I, I don't know what made me get in the car and come over here and go through the training, but I did. I mean, obviously, I know it was a God thing. Um, and I went through the training, and when Doug was telling me us about all the different things that we could volunteer at, I'm a very spiritual person, which I think has helped me through all of this. But I asked him, I said, I really wanted to volunteer in the um, the men's spiritual life meetings that they have. They have to attend one one a week. Um, and he said, I think that's great. I think you should you should join the meeting that meets in Tucker on Wednesday nights. And unbeknownst to me, that was Skylar's spiritual life group. Um, so I started volunteering there. I believe it was around the middle of May when I actually got up the courage to, to walk into that room for the first time. And um, I went through my grief with Skylar's community that he was here at Mar with. And um, having them openly share their stories about Skylar, share their struggles about recovery, gave me answers to questions that I would not have been able to get any other way that probably would have, it could very well have taken my life, not um, not understanding what he was thinking and feeling. Um, because five and a half months, we were still all just in the beginning of our recovery um, so I didn't, I under, I was understanding the disease of addiction better, but I hadn't heard very many stories and to sit every week with these brave guys that were there trying to get help for themselves and willing to share with me their struggles. Um, that was the best grief therapy I think I could have gotten. And I tell people all the time that I'm pretty sure that Skylar, that God put Skylar at Mar because he knew he was going to take Skylar home, but he needed to put me in a safe place. And he did, which was here at Mar. Wow. And I, I can't imagine the power of going through that grieving process with people that knew him mm -hmm. and were working the program with him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, um, it was amazing. It really, I mean, I, I grew to love each one of those guys um, I've been doing this now for what, almost 10 years now this month. And, um, they are my boys. It doesn't matter how, what their age is. They all know they're my boys. They call me the Mar mom. So I couldn't have any better of a designation than that. Um, that means the world to me. And you're right. I feel like I get so much more from them than they get from me. I hope I'm able to help them. Um, I know that they, see their families different through being with me and hearing us share our story at family week. So, mm -hmm. Wow. And well, I, I guess I want to hear what, what was going on for you, Terry, during that process, the, the early days of, of that grief. And like I said, I was very angry and just going through the motions. I didn't have any, and, and there was really no one to, well, I, I couldn't get angry at Skylar any longer. And so some of my anger, well, at the 
at the gravesite, I had said to uh, Doug that we should talk because I had some questions about you know the, what went on the the days of him being asked to leave. You know what what did they try to do? You know what was he saying in response? And um, you want some answers? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, this is how things uh, it. I actually got to talk to Doug about six months ago to ask them all those questions. And so uh, all that time that I, you know, I kept that in the back of my mind that, you know, that, uh, that maybe somebody had some answers to help bring me some resolution, uh, closing to what was, you know, what had happened there. And, uh, and talking to Doug was very beneficial. It, uh, you know, I don't know that I got the answers that I was expecting to get, but I have a, you know, I've, I've come to grips with, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't even remember what it is that I wanted to know. Uh, it's kind of all been put to rest. Um, and that's sort of the, <laughs> that's sort of my MO. Uh, I, Something will be going on with me, and I think that I can resolve it myself, and I'll think about it and rethink about it, and months will go by, and then I'll mention something to Stacy, and she'll say, I think you need to talk to your sponsor about that. Mm-hmm. And then I go, and I'm like, okay, and I go talk to my sponsor. As soon as I, as soon as I start talking about it, my sponsor's got the, you know, he sees right through it, and, and, and that, if I could have done it three months ago, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't put myself through all the misery. <laughs> That's why it took him almost 10 years to go talk to Doug. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, for me, the those months, uh, that, well, it was an entire year before I went to the volunteer training. And I sort of went to the volunteer training, you know, and I wouldn't say uh, kicking and screaming, but I was a bit reluctant about it. I, you know, I, I didn't know. I had no, no anticipation that it was going to be anything good for me. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised that it uh, it was in fact uh, exceptionally good for me, mm-hmm. um, and and now I, I I don't know that I could ever uh, extract myself that they'd have to throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> me too. And I I don't think either of you would go go willingly or mm-hmm. easily. <laughs> I would definitely go kicking and screaming. Yeah at right. That point. Yeah right. So how do you how do you describe that? I mean, I'm sitting here, and I'm sure people that are listening can hear. You guys are just such peaceful calm people having gone through what you went through losing your son your stepson i mean how do you describe how how do you it it just doesn't make sense to me i mean it really is um having a strengthening it over these last 10 years like i said i've always been very spiritual i've always believed in god but i can honestly say before really learning about and practicing the 12 steps myself that I didn't have a personal relationship. I thought I did, but I really didn't. Um, and over the last 10 years of just really understanding what the 12 steps are all about and what the principles behind them are, and then applying them as a guideline to my life, um, and using the tools that I've learned through working, you know, volunteering in the, the men's group and, continuing to go to the family support group. Um, I've just learned what, what tools, how to, how to live differently in my life and how I can only control me and my actions. And I think that was the biggest thing. The biggest learning for me was that I couldn't control anybody but myself. 
And so I had to make a choice. You know, I could either curl up and die. Um, but then I felt, I felt that would be cheating Skylar. I mean, his life was already short enough as it was. And, you know, probably the last third of his life was miserable. Um, I felt like I owed it to him and to myself to do something with this. And so, um, continuing to volunteer was the way I, I, I did. And I was really surprised, um, probably about three or four months after Skylar died that Mar asked me to tell my story at family week. And I was like, but wait, I have, I have a terrible ending to my story. And they're like, no, you need to talk about from the family's perspective, what this disease is about and, and the, the things that you do, um, and have done really your tools to manage this disease. And of course the grief part of it is part of that. Um, so I started telling my story and that's evolved over the years. And, and Terry, just like he was there with me at the, my first women's only Naranon meeting, he stands with me, um, every family week and, mm. you know, supports me in telling my story. And, um, I think that's where my peace comes from. I have a very close relationship with God. Um, I reach out to him for everything. I've learned that this program works at work too. I can't control other people um, at work. And so I've become less stressful or stressed at work just because I know I have to do the best I can with the things that I control and I have to turn the rest of it over to God, especially outcomes. I've learned that I cannot and should not control outcomes. I really should leave that to God because his outcomes are so much better than the ones that I, I think I want. Mm -hmm. And that's where my peace comes from. And, and working on this with Terry and using these tools in our marriage has, you know, brought peace to us as a couple. You'd always believed in God and you had a relationship with him, or I can't remember exactly how you said it, but something was different right now. Something is different now. What is it about, was it the 12 steps in particular that broke it down in a way? Or what What was it that allowed you to get closer with that? It, it was, I think, um, understanding what the 12 steps were all about. I mean, I really thought that was just an AA thing, right? But understanding there's only, the word alcohol is only mentioned once. It's in the first step. I can replace that with anything. And for me, I, you know, I'm powerless over people. And my life had become unmanageable. Um, and so it was really understanding just that that it's really about, um, you know, believing in a power greater than myself, which I always have, but then trusting that power. You know, I would still, even though I believed in God and I was very spiritual, I still tried to control everything, right, and, and get the outcomes that I thought I wanted um, rather than trusting God. And so it was, it wasn't a very deep relationship. And then understanding about kind of cleaning out all of you know, my side of the street, so to speak. And then, um, you know, just the maintenance part of it, which is helping others. And so that's what I try to do. And, um, I mean, I think as, as, as a human being, there's still part, there's still times where I don't feel like my outside matches my inside, what people see and what, how I feel about myself sometimes don't match, but I think that's my human failings. And so I try to try to kind of let that go. And just as Terry said, do the next right thing and be the best person I can um, as much of the time as I can, but mm -hmm. I am human. And so it's not a hundred percent and it's not perfect, nor do I want to be perfect. Mm -hmm. 
So that's, that's really, I think, I think it really was the 12 steps that brought me into a close relationship with God. Um, not just believing he was there, but really believing that he is there and that, um, you know, that he will provide for me and he will give me the answers when I'm supposed to have the answers, not a day or a minute before. And if I just wait, then I don't make as many mistakes. And my, my experience, the, or probably the thing that really changed things for me was after I started volunteering at the lake, what that day looks like is the, the first thing they do is a spiritual life meeting. And then we play volleyball or do recreate in some way for several hours and served lunch. And then there was an AA meeting. And the first, the, my first uh, day volunteering, I, uh, my well, it wasn't my sponsor then. The, the caretaker, Steve Smigelski, told me t that I should sit in on the AA meeting. And that was the first time I ever heard the promises. And I was, I was stunned that that's what I wanted. I, it was, I mean, it just like. I, Man, that's that's what I'm missing in my life. And so then I started I started looking at Steve and I started looking at Whit Walter and Doug and uh, Ashley and um, you know, Todd Valentine and and they had this piece. They there was something they had that I knew I wanted and it took me from April till uh, November 11th of 2000. Nine to ask Steve to take me through the well, it was actually before then, but the, when, when I completed the steps was uh, the 11th of November 2009, and it, it was it was the promises, and and uh, so the promises are, I those things come true for me every day. Wow, what can you remember anything in particular like of those promises? Well, the, two, that... the two big ones were feeling comfortable in social situations, and that was uh -huh. family, and you know that's just everyday stuff. And the other was financial stuff, and there were the two big things that you know kind of cropped up and worried me all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so now, I mean, we we've uh, we believe that we're on this uh, just in time plan where financially, anytime we've ever been up, you know, backs against the wall, and you know, it, all of a sudden it just mysteriously appears. You know? mm -hmm. and, and so we've I've kind of. Well, she takes care of everything, and I don't have I don't have worry about financial <laughs> stuff. Um, and and now, you know, now having gone through the steps and you know made my amends with my family, who are principally the the, the bulk of the the amends that I've had to make, uh, I'm comfortable going to family functions, and I'm mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't fret uh, social situations because I'm not there trying to impress anybody with who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they take me for who I am, and uh, if, if you can't do that, well, I'll I'll see you later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, wow! And I learned that the just in time plan meant that God was taking care of right. me. Oh, okay. Yes, that gotcha. was uh, that was the point. I guess mm -hmm. I didn't get that. Uh, make that clear. That's what that is. That's what yes. that is. Is yeah. that you know it just it doesn't mysteriously disappear. It's that God mm -hmm. always provides what we need when we need it, mm -hmm. and so. As I look back on my life in all of those ways that that's manifested itself, I mean, even before all of this, um, I realized where God was really present in my life. And now he, I let him in. You know, I bring him into my life and I invite him in 
to help me. And um, I mean, there's some mornings, my morning prayer is just as simple as just help me today. Help Mm -hmm. me to stay in your will today. Please keep me out of your way and my way. (laughs) And, and that's what I need is just to, to keep Stacy out of it Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And that's what's worked. And that's where my peace comes from. It really is. And I, I know Skylar's at peace. I feel him around me all the time. Um, I know he's aware of what we're doing and, um, that we're, you know, I get to, how many times have I mentioned his name just in this podcast? And I Mm -hmm. just, you know, I love to be able to talk about him and Terry and I say it all the time that Skylar gave Terry and I the gift of recovery. Mm. And unfortunately we had to have this situation. We had to have drug addiction in our, our midst that drove us into these rooms to learn about this amazing program that helps us live our life with peace. Um, and everybody says they want to look, you know, I was hoping this was going to make me happy. And well, this is a program of peace um, and serenity because life is full of ups and downs and there's happiness and there's tragedy and there's hardships and there's joy. But this program kind of helps you find peace through all of that so that when it is hard, you have the tools. And when you are happy or you see joy, you can appreciate it more. And so that truly, I mean, Skylar was a gift in and of himself to me. Um, unfortunately, Skylar didn't, I mean, Terry didn't get to see that part of him. Um, but he gave both of us a huge gift in that we, we have to be here. Mm-hmm. And um, these meetings and the things that we do in volunteering for me are, are important and they're part of my recovery. And while I'm not, I don't have drug and alcohol addiction, everybody has something. And, um, this has helped me, you know, I get restless, irritable and discontent too. And so I get to turn to these tools instead of, I don't know, going out shopping for something I don't really need thinking that's going to make me feel better when in fact it doesn't. Um, or trying to control somebody else because I want to feel superior for whatever reason that doesn't make me feel better. Um, so, you know, it, it really, that's why I'm, I'm just a firm believer that, you know, everybody can benefit from it. It's just those of us that are driven here through the really insanity of this disease of addiction. We're actually the ones that actually get to get the gift. Mm. Yeah. It takes a lot takes a lot of pain mm-hmm. it does <laughs> to get willing to to do that to make um, change of any kind I yeah think. yeah so last question i i've been starting to ask everybody um i think all wisdom is kind of hard won wisdom so what's some what's a piece of wisdom that you've picked up that you'd want to pass along to the people listening from your time at mar wow do you want to go first on that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think um, Mar is truly a special program. I mean, it it is the people here care. It's not it's not about the money. It's about recovery and the counselors and and everybody just cares. And that's felt. And I think for me, if I were to sum it up in terms of wisdom for me, it's really the 12 steps have brought me to such a relationship with God 
um, that I'm able to find peace in my life um, no matter what is going on. And I think that's probably the biggest I don't know, piece of wisdom I can get is to really take these steps to heart, um, understand what the principles are behind them and try to use them in all of your affairs. Mm. Um, cause when I do that, I have peace. I see a lot of joy. Um, and I can live with the fact that I lost my only son to this disease. Um, and I can get up in the morning and that has to be because of God, you know, because of Skylar, because I have Terry. Um, and I have, I have this program here at Mar that, that works for me too. Mm. I love that. Okay. So <laughs> there's a phrase in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil or deliver me from evil. And, there's been so much progress made over the last nine years for me. Uh, one of the most recent ones is that uh, I can see that everything is connected mm -hmm. and I can live like everything's connected. And that phrase up until just recently, I was, it was a request for God to keep evil from happening to me, but that's, totally turned around. Now it's God help me from being the one creating the evil. When I make judgments about, you know, people's behaviors, you know, driving on the road, wherever, um, then I become, you know, I can act in a way that creates problems. And if I can stop myself from creating problems, creating evil, um, because we all are one, then every, everything benefits from, uh, Better behavior, thoughtful behavior. I love that. I'd yeah. never heard that before put put that way. Well, that's mm -hmm. great. Well, thank you both so much thank for joining. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience. If you want to connect with us, have questions, or want to be involved in our podcast in any way, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. That's podcast at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot org. Also, if you've enjoyed the show, you could give us a rating on iTunes, which would be great and would help us reach a wider audience. The executive producer for our show is David Tate. I'm Matt Shedd, and we'll see you next time.